Hello, brothers and sisters. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the XX Mormon podcast. I am Elder Jackson. I'm presiding, or I'm not presiding. Pardon me, Bishop. I hate to steal your thunder. I am conducting this meeting. Bishop Jensen is presiding. He is the authority here for God today. And uh, we are joined, actually, by a special guest. Mandy joins us today. Do you want to introduce yourself, Mandy? Hi, uh, my name is Mandy. I am an ex-Christian. I lived in Brazil for most of my life, so I kind of went back and forth between a few denominations there, mostly evangelical churches. Um, I've been openly ex-Christian for, I'd say, maybe six months, but mentally ex-Christian for probably three or four years. And I am excited to chat with you guys today. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, we're we're stoked to have you. This is going to be interesting because even though this is like a you know, ex-Mormon podcast, I think we have a lot of things in common. We've already been chatting about that. And it's going to be cool to hear about your experience, particularly in Brazil. Brazil's like a fairly religious country, right? Oh, yeah. And it's funny because on paper, statistically, we're like 90, I'm going to butcher the numbers, but it's like 93 or 97% Catholic. Mm. But in practice, I guess people are actually very liberal um, in ways that I guess people would say is not Catholic. People will even sometimes self-label as either a practicing Catholic or a non-practicing Catholic. Oh, really? Or sorry, I think it's 97% Christian, which includes both Catholic and evangelical mm-hmm. churches. Um, and again, those numbers might be wrong, but it is a vast majority on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some people will self-label as non-practicing where they just don't really participate in church as much but because the culture is so liberal i guess conservative churches have reacted to that by getting more and more conservative and pushing heavily towards that side um i know my mom has even went to a veiled church at one point where they're obligated to wear veils for the service and you know sit on one side of the church versus the men the other and she was like oh i went to this lovely church and i'm like oh all right all right that's not weird at all um (laughs) That's not strange. So, yeah, I guess <laughs> technically sort- very religious, practically right. a mix. Okay, interesting. That that veil just resonates with us a lot because in the Mormon temple, women sit on one side and veil their faces and men sit on the other side. So mm-hmm. it's like they're... Yeah. So, okay. like, in yeah. in the Mormon church, when you, like, attend on a Sunday, right, if you see a chapel, right, um, okay. if you attend on a Sunday – you go in and, uh, you know, families sit together, right? And usually, you know, 10 kids between the two parents, right? <laughs> and, but then if you go to the temple, it's men on one side, women on the other side. Not like, not super, super strict. There, one time there weren't enough seats for all the men. So I had to sit on the women's side, you know, but okay. like, it's like kept that way. And, and women have veils as well to in the temple um so yeah that's that's yeah, that's yeah. i mean i know about like the long skirts and all but not about the veils on sunday so that's interesting mm-hmm. right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, okay so uh, long skirts okay tell me about what were the expectations of you growing up like those technical expectations of mm. how is the right way to behave um definitely a lot of focus on the way people dress there was definitely that very contradictory of approach of like 
you want to wear some makeup, but you don't want to wear too much makeup. Mm-hmm. You want to dress nice, but not too nice, mm-hmm. not too form fitting, but you don't want to look old. So it was definitely this very contradictory view of like, you want to attract a husband. That's your goal. We're always talking about your future husband and attracting your future husband and making sure you look good for them, making sure you're behaving well for them, but also not attracting anybody else and, you know, not quote unquote tempting anybody else. So it was this very weird balance to hold. Um, I always felt weird, I guess, talking about future husbands. I don't know if it was partially because I am queer and I guess more attracted to women than men. So I don't know if that played a part in how weird I felt with the husband thing always being brought up. Mm -hmm. But even with my female friends who are straight, I guess they also felt weird about it sometimes just because it was brought up since we were very, very young. Hmm. Like we would have been like 13, 14 talking about how we need to behave for our future husbands. And it's like, we're not even thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you, was like the onus and responsibility for a man's sex drive placed on your shoulders? Like if you dress a certain way, he'll have no control. If you talk a certain way, a man will have no control and you're ultimately responsible for making sure that, the guy doesn't, you know, lose mm. control of his passions. And yeah. it's funny because in theory, yes, but mm. the narrative was still placed on our self-worth depending on how decently we presented. Okay. So it's funny because they never mentioned like, oh, you're going to make him go out of control. You're going to make him act. That was never the way they phrased it. The way they phrased it is, you know, you need to be a decent woman. You need to be a proper woman you're going to lose your worth if you don't present a certain way. So it's funny because there was this very weird association. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, Was it the same with you guys? Just like always dressing. I mean, I know there's church outfits, but I don't know if there was anything like that. Yeah. There are a lot of like dress standards in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And like the reason Bishop brings that up is because we had uh that was like the the thing and a few weeks back as of the recording of this um a few weeks back we had uh, another friend of ours on who who talked about her experience in mormonism as a woman and how that was like that's the expectation placed on mormon women is like you're responsible for the man's sex drive like if he does something awful it's your fault because of how you dress or how you looked or, like yeah so that was like a big big thing and i have a bunch of sisters and they got the same thing growing up in in church and so that, that's why that's why we ask about that but yeah we it was you know similar expectations um in mormonism when you're an adult and you go through the temple you actually get special clothing um that you wear like special undergarments that you wear Ooh. that oh dear. is like the yeah, expectation yeah, it's like a t-shirt and long shorts like yeah and it's and like you're yeah. supposed to okay. have them covered at all times. And- yeah, yeah. So it's like, and if wow. if it's not covered, that's how you know, like you're not dressing modestly, mm. right? And Interesting. Yeah, that's how you can check other members' devotion, right? If you drive mm. past their house and they're working in the yard and they're wearing a tank top and and shorter shorts, it's like, oh, they're not mm. that devout. They're yeah. uh, not yeah. wearing their garments and long shorts and long sleeve shirts while they do another thing i so hated where it was just a very toxic environment with the women and it's funny because it wasn't 
always so much the men imposing this. It was very much the women imposing this on other women, you mm. know, sitting in church, gossiping about, oh, what's she wearing? How she dressed? And again, it wasn't always like pushing women to be more conservative. It was like, you can never make them happy. I was like, right. oh my God, she's wearing such a long dress. She looks so old. Oh, she's wearing so much makeup. Why would she come to church like that? She's not wearing any makeup. Oh my God. So <laughs> I guess through gossiping, I know people felt a sense of unity, I guess. Or right. I don't know. But it, it was still such a weird, toxic environment, especially for how much we preached being accepting to everyone as they are, as they come. And it's like... Yeah. Why are we worried about what <laughs> shoes they're wearing when we're all dressed conservatively? Like nobody here is dressed in a way that's scandalous. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> it was just funny with the nitpicking. Right. How right. much? How much is that? Is because uh, I know a few Latinos, and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. But how much of that do you think was Latino culture versus the the church culture? Mm-hmm. I guess it was Latino culture. I don't have too much experience with like American or North American churches, but I definitely notice a much greater tendency for women to do the whole, like, we're going to bond through gossiping and right. through putting other people down um, and playing it off as a very casual thing. Um, my grandmother, this is something my parents would say a lot, and it is funny. I don't mean to dump it, but she would always say, like, oh, you know, gossiping is not a good thing, but it does pass the time, doesn't it? And, you know, that would be her little saying. I'm like, yeah, it's funny, like, it's cute. But then on the inverse side, of course, there's like, right. okay, we're putting other women down for such tiny things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just creating this incredibly narrow standard of beauty. Mm-hmm. It was funny because even my parents even took great, great issue with the fact that my hair was curly. And so growing up, they would always straighten it, like chemically, always make sure that I was doing that, which is ironic because I'm like, I get that from you. Right. (laughs) You have curly hair. This is why I like if we accept the way God naturally makes people, why is curly hair an issue? Like we live in Brazil. People are racially very mixed. Mm -hmm. This shouldn't be a thing. Um, some of my two biggest fights with my mother was when I wanted to wear my curly hair without straightening it to my graduation and to my cousin's wedding. And those were two of our biggest fights. And I'm like, this shouldn't be a fight at all. Wow. Uh, And curly hair is the best hair. If you ask me, like, it's like the coolest, like there's, there's interest in it. Right. Like, yeah. What? Interesting. That is so interesting that yeah. curly hair hair was an issue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You you mentioned also earlier that that you're queer as well. And so, at what point did you become aware of this in yourself, and mm. and how did you react to it internally? I guess on one hand, I always realized that I didn't like following these very feminine standards that mm-hmm. I. Didn't like the whole, like, oh, you have to sit a certain way. You have to make sure your hair is a certain length. And, like, it was a hassle. You have to make sure to wear makeup and not too much makeup. I never uh, enjoyed those things. Those things don't inherently make you queer, but I noticed that self-expression was always kind of there. I think the actual self-discovery process happened when I moved to Vancouver, and this was, like, early 20s, because then – all of the friends I was making were queer. For some reason, hmm. we just naturally 
went towards each other each even before I realized what was going on with me. So my entire friendship circle was very queer and they were very open in talking about these things. Um, and yeah, I guess that was the first time I realized like, yeah, this doesn't feel like such a huge issue. I never thought it was a big deal, but it never got brought up very much in our church, you know, hmm. very much staying within our bubble. These things don't exist, you know? Uh, so yeah, it was the first time I saw people just casually talking about this, casually expressing themselves. And I was like, I kind of want that too. I kind of want to be able to just like, you know, cut my hair, not wear makeup and not have people always on my case about it. Hmm. Um, so, but those were the first times that I had those conversations around this topic. Was, was it also like a taboo hush hush thing in your church was like, we don't talk about. Oh this. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's like, like Mormons are uh, like the masters of being mean with a smile on their face. <laughs> right. So it's like, there's no it's hate like, like Christian love. We, <laughs> yeah. What's that? I like There's that. There's no hate like Christian love. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and I'd say Mormon love is right in the same family of, but it's like, well, we love the the sinner. We just hate the sin, you know, hmm. or this is a challenge we can all overcome together or, and you can, you can, you know, become as God intended you to be. And then, uh, I mean, and then once, I think horror stories about conversion therapy start coming out and becoming mm -hmm. more public. It's well, you know, it's just not something you'll likely overcome in this life, but in the next life will become perfected. And as our father in heaven intended kind of, you know, and always said in the sweetest voice with a smile on your face, but yeah. Yeah. When you get that message, it's, Oh, I, I would just imagine when you, you feel different, and you get that mm. message that you're going to be broken until after you die. Yeah. I, I imagine that's. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting because at least in our Christian churches, there was this big narrative of like, oh, marriage is like the highest form of a relationship. Mm -hmm. It reflects the relationship between the church and Jesus. So it's like the best, uh, the closest thing to that, that you can experience on earth. And it's seen as this like amazing thing that we get to experience. And so to tell queer people like, yeah, you're just going to have to completely miss out on that sense of connection, especially one that we value so much and we think is so important and such an important expression of our humanity uh, without batting an eye to just being like, yeah, no, you don't get that. Mm -hmm. um, only we get that for no reason, really. It's, uh, it's yeah. an interesting narrative. Well, and then some something that the Mormon church does uh, is they they say – Oh, they, they say you can be homosexual and in the church, but you can't act on it, right? Like you can't have any sort of sexual uh, or romantic relationship with somebody of the same sex. And then they, but then they, they say, you know, when people are like, oh, well, that's unfair because you're talking about, oh, well, what about this relationship? The importance of, you know, loving somebody and being together with somebody, right? But then the the Mormon church, what it says is, is like, oh, well, you're just following the same rules as as heterosexual people because I'm not allowed to have sex outside of marriage with a woman. And so then, therefore, it's only fair, right? But it's like, wait, wait, but it's not fair because I can get married and then have that relationship. Whereas a queer person, it's like, ah, you just 
gotta wait, wait till, till the, the next, next life. life. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It's interesting. And it's but also it, just uh I forgot where I was going with that. Sorry. <laughs> no, Go ahead. no problem. Well, did you so did your Christian faith deconstruct before you moved to Vancouver and made queer friends or was the, the coming out of your queerness as you know related to your loss of faith or how did that I had very big ups and downs before Vancouver it's funny because I guess as soon as my parents found out they they wanted to find somebody to blame and this is something mm. I noticed in our conversations and arguments afterwards where I'm like you're trying really really hard to find somebody to blame and not letting me take responsibility for this change in my life like I change I know it's hard to accept that I'm the one who did it when you saw me being so religious, but I'm the one who made this decision. So they kept trying to be like, oh, it's it was Vancouver. Vancouver changed you. And I'm like, no, I had very strong questionings long before that. Uh, I was always involved in church activities, church leadership, never to a greater amount as a woman. But I was like president of the youth group and the teens group. And even then, I remember coming up to the leadership and because my parents were also leaders of the youth groups was a very weird relationship to have and being like I don't feel comfortable being a leader when I'm not I don't feel strong in my faith Hmm. and it was to a degree where I was like I want to abandon this leadership position because I I'm not feeling this Hmm. I'm not vibing this I don't know how to explain it or to what degree but I don't feel comfortable being a leader and they were just like no just stay it's just an administrative position it's fine whatever but I could already tell, like, I'm not fully in this. Hmm. Um, I've already got a foot out. Yeah. And, so, and just, yeah. yeah. So did you, did you have like those kind of conversations with your parents, like beforehand about your own faith and how, how did they take that? How did they take that questioning uh, as, yeah, as you were going around? Uh, I guess the response was, I guess, typical of what a lot of leadership might say, where it's like, you know, it's normal to question. It's fine. It's temporary. It'll go away. You just have to lean more on God. Uh, With my dad, he was very much more on the intellectual side of like apologetics, you know, being big on Rabbi Zacharias, uh, John Lennox, all of these big names. And so he was much more happy to talk to me about this and try Mm. to answer some of my questions. My mother was much more on the, I guess, what some people might call Presbyterian tendency of like very spiritual, like just have to pray about it. You just have to feel it out. Um, But yeah, they always had some sort of answer that wasn't like you're allowed to figure something else out. You're allowed to not be religious. It was always like, oh, this is going to pass. You just need to spend more time with God. And it's always your fault. Like, it's Mm -hmm. always because you're not being faithful enough. You're not spending enough time in the word. And it's always like, if you find a problem in the religion, the problem is you. Hmm. Because you're not deep enough in this. You're not dedicated enough. So, I don't know if there was a similar response from your leadership. (laughs) Identical. Like, identical. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When you were saying that, I was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, sounds familiar. (laughs) I've heard this before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. got all of that. Yeah. Uh, like Mark. Oh, sorry. No, like, I, uh, Mormonism ahead. has a lot of its roots in uh, kind of 19th century Eastern U.S. Presbyterian Pentecostalism. And and some of those things you can still see the, I don't know, the, the influence of Methodism 
all these things. So when you're, you're talking about your mom being more Presbyterian and kind of like a, you just got to feel the spirit. That's what Mormons go with very strongly is like, read the book of Mormon and pray about it and you'll receive a spiritual witness. And if you doubt anything, just pray about it. And the Lord will witness to you through the spirit. That's a big Latter-day Saint thing of the spirit witnessing the truth of everything. Mm-hmm. So if you're not, if you're not believing, it's because you're not reading, praying and feeling the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. That was always the answer. So growing up, so in Mormonism, they like Mormonism has a lot of programs to indoctrinate people, right? Like it's like you think like youth programs, it was like 10 of them, right? Like I, I calculated it one time. I spent over 20 hours a week doing church stuff. And so we had this thing called seminary, uh, which in in most Christian churches, that's how you go and like become a priest. But in the Mormon church, it's this class that you go to while you're in school. So if we had like a spare during one of our classes, or sometimes it was before we went to school, like it was in the morning, we'd go to this church class and we'd uh, learn about, you know, the teachings in the Book of Mormon or the Old Testament or the New Testament every year would rotate. And then... I remember my teacher there would always say whenever we had a question, he's like, did you pray about it? Did you, did you pray about it? That was always, (laughs) always, Hey, I have, it was like, you could go with him to him with anything, any problem you had in the world. And now I love this guy. He's a friend of mine, but like you could go to him with anything and be like, Hey, so I have this problem. This is what I've been going through. And he's like, pray about it. You know, and that was always, and it's like, it got to the point where it's like, uh, w- uh, why? <laughs> yeah, like, you're just diverting me. You're not helping me in any way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, there's got to be, like, some answer or something. Don't you even, like, have a scripture that has the answer? I don't know. But, like, it's just pray about it. Pray about it. Yeah. Pray about it. <laughs> I think that's why I got, like, really, really into apologetics at one point. Because hmm. I'm like, hey, okay. If you, if everyone's telling me that I'm the problem, that I'm not researching enough and I'm going to do my research, mm-hmm. fine. If you need me to go out and do this myself, if you're telling me I need to take more initiative, I'm going to do it. Here we go. I got super deep into it. And the interesting thing about apologetics is that I believed it very genuinely. You know, there's always this narrative where people do convert, where it's like, oh, but you were never truly a Christian. Like, yeah, mm. I always had my doubts, but I had moments where I was very genuine about it and very genuinely and earnestly searching. And with apologetics, it is constructed very well. Um, Like I know ex-Christians joke a lot about how a lot of the apologetics arguments are BS now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we throw around these jokes, but they, they construct them well. And I can see how people are convinced by this. Um, I was looking at like a sermon that I had posted on Facebook like four years ago and going over it again. And I'm like, logically, you know, in terms of how the speaker put this together, it's well done. And it's probably because he does even believe it himself to some degree. So, yeah, I don't know. It's very, it's very well constructed. Yeah. Um, Would you, would you proselytize a little bit? Like, would you like share it with people and be like, you need to hear this. This is the word of God. Would you ever do stuff like that? I was never super, um, I was never like too pushy, Mm -hmm. especially with my queer friends. And when I started making queer friends, I'm like, 
I don't feel like I need to change them. I know that I should, but they're good people. Like they're hmm. fine. I know I shouldn't believe they're good people, but they're chill. Um, I was part of a program at one point where we went to universities to preach basically, but people would come to us if they wanted to talk. So I was like, okay, this I'm okay with. I don't feel pushy and weird about this, but it was pushy and weird. Um, and because I had all this apologetics knowledge, I was actually able to argue very well. Uh, I gained a bit of a reputation uh, as being the person who could present logic and facts. And I think for a while I leaned on that because I was like, no, see, there is logic to Christianity. That's good. This is what I've been looking for, this validation that this is logical, and then once I actually started seeing resources that weren't Christian, I was like, hold on a second. So, yeah, but I was pretty into it at one point. Hmm. So what were, like, what were some of the things that kind of, we call it a shelf. So when Mormons mm. find something uncomfortable, we close it and we put it on a shelf. <laughs> and then eventually when there's enough things that have made us uncomfortable, the shelf breaks because we put too much Un, too many unresolved concerns Interesting. On it. yeah yeah so what would what would you call like the items on your shelf as you were as you're growing as your spirituality was evolving mm. what kind of concerns did you just kind of put away and say i'll look at that later oh queerness was definitely one of them because mm. my best friend since the fifth grade came out as gay in high school hmm. uh right. he was always uh somewhat effeminate um but he always denied it and we were like yeah you know like whatever you say we're going with but when he came out, I was like, he hasn't changed. We're still best friends. I don't want to push religion down his throat. Like, I don't want to do it. I don't feel comfortable doing it. I don't, but I had a very genuine fear of him going to hell. Like, I genuinely thought about this. Like, I had breakdowns over, like, imagining him being tortured. And it's like, that's a lot of pressure to put hmm. on a 15-year-old of, like, if you're not being really pushy about your religion, your friend is going to be tortured forever. Don't forget to imagine that really vividly. And it's yeah. a very morbid narrative. Hmm. Um, then, you know, making more and more queer friends, I was like, I know it's technically wrong of me to not be saying anything, but I, nothing about this makes me want to say anything against this. I don't know. Right. Like they're not doing anything wrong. Um, huh. I know, so, like I. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Didn't oh know. no, go ahead. I, like, when I finished university, got my first job. One of the guys I started with was gay, and we became good friends. And he kind of asked me about weird things about growing up Mormon, and I'd ask him about like tough things growing up being gay, and and I just kind of asked him, we'd be like, "Oh, my wife was watching Community. Is this what it's really like being a gay, or not Community? Uh, Glee. Um. This is what it's really like being a gay teenager." <laughs> You know, did they blow this out? And first he'd be like, I hate Glee. Glee's a dumbest show. But yes, they like they hit the nail on the head with this scene. And this thing is a little over the top. But we just started talking a lot. And then I was like, wow, this is like the first gay person I've ever met. And he's like, just like me. And he has no agenda, desire or conspiracy to undermine the traditional family. <laughs> just a guy trying to get a job, trying to find somebody to love him like. Yeah. <laughs> about as regular as a person could be and that was like an item on my shelf was, mm -hmm. you know coming to face to face with an actual gay person and finding out they were just like everybody else mm. yeah yeah it, i guess for go ahead oh, no, go ahead. 
you know, you're up, you're up. I, I guess like for me, it was almost more extreme where it was just like, I'm in this really toxic environment where I'm being undermined for anything and everything I do, anything, everything I do is being watched. Like I remember there was huge discussion on like, you're not supposed to listen to anything that isn't Christian music and you're sinning. If you watch TV shows, you know, you're taking in secular media. Like I'm like, man, I'm in this scenario where people keep telling me I'm not worthy. I'm not enough because I'm not doing everything perfectly. And the first queer people I met were so welcoming and so accepting of me. I genuinely remember having like, a moment with one one of my best friends now and she was just like you're doing really well i'm really proud of you and i just started crying on the spot right and i was just like why is this so much better so much more loving so much more embracing like they're not even doing that much i recognize that i was like they're not doing anything crazy just by loving and accepting me it's it feels so different. Yeah. Why is my church not like that before supposed to be like that? So that was a very like, I'm going to shelf this for now. Yeah. I will address yeah. it later. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's like something, a, a big issue that I had. So growing up uh, Mormon, uh, you're so drinking, no go, like mm-hmm. smoking, you know, even weed, coffee, right? Coffee. Yeah. No yeah, coffee. No coffee. No like oh, it's like thing after thing, like all these little nitpicky rules, right? And uh, and growing up, I was always taught in our youth classes on Sundays, you know, your friends are gonna try and tempt you, and like they're gonna try and get you to drink alcohol and all this stuff. And then, <laughs> and then the craziest thing happened to me. I went to a party, first time ever at a party that had alcohol, because all my friends were Mormon growing up. First time ever at a party that had alcohol. Nobody offered me any. Nobody offered me any. One guy offered me a joint. He's like, hey, do you you want a joint? And and I said, no, I'm good, thanks. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to go outside and smoke this. I'll be back in in a bit. And I was like, he didn't try to, like, force it on me? He didn't? I was like... What is going on? Like, these people are just normal, nice, kind, thoughtful people living their lives. How is this even possible? And it makes you realize, like, oh, I don't, like, have a monopoly on goodness, <laughs> right? Oh, man. And just realizing that, like, you when you stay in that bubble for so long, there's all these narratives created on, like, atheistic people, how they act, how they are. And it's weird to be like, yeah, I've interacted with a lot of atheists, but I still had these little shocks too, where, you know, at first I told people like, I don't drink. They're like, you don't drink. Okay. And never brought it up again. Yeah, They each ordered their own drinks if they wanted to. They usually weren't like day drinking or anything anyways. We're just a bunch of nerdy artists at school. So (laughs) I was also shocked to be like, no one's pressuring me. Like I have stoner friends and they never offered me anything. And just being like, what, where are these confrontational experiences I'm told that I'm going to experience as a Christian? Mm-hmm. Like everyone tells me people are going to push against me as a Christian. Nobody's pushing against me. And it's like, we're not that oppressed. Yeah. That's probably why. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a comic I saw where um, it, was, it was a Mormon family poking out the the their blinds and then mm. somebody was walking by in a tank top 
Um, and which of course isn't allowed in Mormonism. Somebody's walking by in a tank top and this fam, this Mormon family's poking their eyes out the blinds and they're like, how are we so oppressed? <laughs> like they, they keep oppressing us, but it's somebody on a public sidewalk just like living their life, you know, and they yes. make such a big deal about it. It's hilarious. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's really, really interesting when you start to deconstruct it and you find everybody's just normal. People are nice, yeah. right? And so um, I kind of want to to get up to your decision to tell your family the way that you feel about this. Uh, this was more recent. This was November last year you said this happened? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, November was when I moved out and I moved okay. to San Diego. Okay. Um, and, and, and yeah. so what was like talking to your family about this, like addressing this and kind of moving on. Walk us through that experience. I guess generally, and I find this to be, I don't want to say normal in the sense that it's good, just normal in the sense that it happens a lot, which is unfortunate. A lot of Christian families have this, hmm, I don't want to say concept of possession, although I kind of do over their children. But it's definitely like privacy is not a concept. Privacy does not exist, Mm -hmm. especially when you're trying really hard to monitor everything you're doing to make sure that you're following all of these laws and these rules. They always frame it as like, uh, this is a loving thing. This is something we're doing for your own good. We're checking your conversations. We're checking your stuff. It's an act of love. And it took me many years to realize that like, yeah, breaches of privacy are not an act of love. Yeah. And I try to have these conversations with my parents. Like, I don't have anything to hide. If you want to talk to me and ask me things, talk to me. Right. Ask me. Like, I am capable of thought. I am capable of dialogue. Talk to me. Um, But there was always this theme of, like, looking through my things. Don't have passwords on your electronics. We need to see everything. And it's like, I wasn't hiding anything. I really wasn't. I was a very like straight edge person. I cheated once on a test in my whole life and I still feel terrible about it. Uh, It's a teacher. I went to his wedding and I considered apologizing. I'm not even kidding. I considered going up to this man on his wedding day and apologizing for cheating once on one of his tests (laughs) because of how guilty I felt. Like I was very straight edge. Wow. Um, I had nothing to hide, but that wasn't, it wasn't about that. It was just about like, I want you to respect me as my own person. Right. Especially as I'm getting older and older and becoming an adult. Um, And so the way my parents found out was by looking through my things. Again, I'd grown to be a very hypervigilant person where Mm -hmm. I was always like making sure my stuff was locked. If I went to the bathroom, I had to close it, Uh, making sure notifications wouldn't pop up on my phone. I became very paranoid. It's even weird to this day to be like, I don't need to turn my screen. I don't need to like hide things so I won't be yelled at for watching a TV show that's not Christian or whatever. Uh, But yeah, that's how they found out. And so it wasn't really by my own choice, unfortunately. Um, I was already saving up to move out and trying Mm -hmm. to figure that out. I know it's a big stigma in North America to not move out as soon as you're 18 or whatever, to like be an adult living with your parents. Uh, In Brazilian culture, it's usually more common for us to live with our parents until we're married. Mm. So it's very common. That's one's thirties and all to be with your parents still. 
so my parents kept saying like, oh, there's no reason for you to move out, right? Especially in the middle of the pandemic. It's like, this is normal. Like, they even would tell me like, don't get swayed by the whole American culture thing. You're fine. Right. And it was great to have the financial help. But yeah, it became a very unsafe environment mentally and emotionally. And I was like, man, if I don't move out soon, I'm going to do something stupid. So let's get out of here. Uh, yeah. And that's when I moved to San Diego, not in the most ideal financial conditions mid pandemic. Yeah. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What was um, like, do you still have contact with them? Like, do you still talk to them? Like what's that relationship like now that you've moved on and moved out? Yeah, and that's something I thought about for mm, probably a couple years before I left, but I did want to cut off contact. Uh, and I think the conclusion, it's funny because people who know my parents don't think very, they wouldn't think, oh, they're terrible people, they're abusive people, whatever. But it got to a point where I was like, this relationship isn't doing me any good. It isn't contributing to my life in any way. Um Right. It's funny. I know the quote unquote good things in the Bible tend to be very general platitudes mm -hmm. anyway, but I did always like the verse that's like, uh, I don't remember the verse now, but it's about only including things in your life if they edify you, if they bring you benefit, mm, right, if they're right. actually building you up. And I'm like, man, as an adult, I don't have a lot of time or energy for a lot of relationships. I have time and energy for maybe a few, a handful of very good relationships. Do I want to include this, these people who are going to have a strained relationship with me at best? Right. Um, and where, you know, they feel like they have the right to constantly intrude, to constantly push against my boundaries. I tried setting boundaries for so many years. Uh, I'm just really trying to be like, can we not talk about these subjects? Can you stop commenting on this thing? Can you stop criticizing this thing? And they were just completely disregarded. So I was like, is this really a relationship that's helping me in any way? Or is it just because of the parent label that I'm keeping it? Uh, I remember seeing a post on Reddit where it was like uh, a therapist saying, if there wasn't the mother or father label, is this somebody you would want to actively keep in your life? And I was like, oh, no yeah so yeah that was part of it where it could have been okay but it wouldn't have helped right right good so yeah i think that's something a lot of people struggle with um is just like the idea that their parents are individuals and that you're an individual and that your siblings are individuals and that you know and everybody's gonna go on making their own choices and you don't necessarily have to be completely so tightly bound to that uh, just because mm. of a label. I grew up Mormon. That doesn't mean that I have to stay Mormon forever, right? Yeah. Just because it was a part of my childhood. Oh, it's my community that I was raised in. Okay, well, but if it's not good for you, mm. you know, yeah. And Bishop it's funny because culturally with like romantic relationships, people are like, yeah, the second it's not amazing, leave them, dump them, you know. Yeah. People are very quick to be like, cut people out of your life if they're not helpful. Toxic friendships, you know, cut them out, cut them out if they're not, you know, pushing you forward. But there's still a very big social stigma with parents. Like, oh, mm -hmm. if they don't have a relationship with their parents, 
that's a red flag. And it's like, you don't know what their parents are like. Yeah. Not everyone's meant to be a parent. Parents can be abusive. So you never know. Yeah. And even just not, not necessarily even seeming abusive on the surface too. There are like those little things where it's like, oh, that was not good for me. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a, a big deal. Welcome back, Bishop Jensen, by the way. Hello. Um, <laughs> you, I, we can't really hear you. Can you speak? Can I? Yeah, can, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. You're a little Give you're us a, little a sign quiet, if you're here. Yeah, yeah. Here. Blink, <laughs> blink twice if you're okay. You can't hear me? No, I can, I can hear, you. hear you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you can hear me. It's okay. just kind of quiet. You Please. lost your uh, your connection, but you're you're good now. Yeah, so I moved somewhere else that I might have a more stable connection so okay okay here's here's hoping um yeah yeah do you do you have any any more questions bishop jensen anything you're you're curious about i mean how are you guys with your family are are you like is it like yeah i because i'm like a super easygoing person i have good relationship with everybody i was at my dad's house and i say good relationship i'm not like buddy buddy with everybody you know um but because I'm easygoing, I'm like, whatever, you know, and I was helping my dad move and then uh, his wife made us lunch. And then he's like, oh, do you pray? Like, cause he was, he knows that I've left the church. And so he, he's like, do you pray? And I was like, I was like, no. And, uh, and he says, he's like, okay. And uh, then, <laughs> you know, said a prayer over the food. Right. Um, but I always like, that's, that's what I told you know, I I have a sibling who has some issues with her with our parents, and I was like, just tell mm-hmm. them how you feel. You like I told them basically what you're saying. You don't have to be their buddy. Like they're another person, and if if you feel like you should call them never, never call them. If you feel like you should call them once a month, call them once a month. You know, whatever you feel is right for that relationship. So I'm I'm good with with my family. In my head, none of it is strained. I think in their heads it, you know because they're worried about me right oh he's yeah. gone away right so in their heads i don't know what they're feeling i can't speak to that but in my head everything i'm sure everything's fine <laughs> yeah and that was another thing i thought about we like even if i maintain a chill relationship i know they're always going to have that internal mental conflict of like i should be saying something because otherwise she's going to die like i knew that was going to cause conflict mm-hmm. to them yeah. Uh, so I was like, I don't want to push that on them. I don't want them to always be like pushing that and trying to be like, I should be mm-hmm. talking to her. I should be converting her. And I'm like, that's not going to go well. Yeah. See, the way I thought about that, I was like, well, that's their problem. <laughs> it, you know, with my family. I'm like, if they, you and know, they reacted I, well. So, yeah. Well, and I, so one thing that I told my family when I left, I said, I know that you feel this way. I know you feel like I'm damned now and like I'm going to go to hell or, you know, face all these problems or whatever. I'm like, I know you feel that way. I do not feel that way. I feel like I've moved on and I'm able to live a better life because of this choice. And I told them straight up uh, about mm-hmm. about that. I have another question, but maybe before we get to my next question, maybe Bishop, if you... What's uh, if you want to share what your relationship has been like with your family since leaving? Right. So I think for um, like for Latter-day Saint women, there's a lot of pressure on them to have children and raise them righteously in the gospel. So I think my mom, my mom looks at me and my siblings as like her life work. So when I told Mm. my mom I'm done, she kind of took it 
a lot worse than my dad did in that way. Um, my dad has a lot of siblings who have left Mormonism, so he's just kind of, it's like another one bites the dust for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like, my parents saw, so I served an LDS mission, and when I came home, I was really tightly wound and anxious. And they saw how hard I was trying to be a good Mormon. They saw how it wasn't working for me. And so really in conversations I've had with them since, they've kind of realized they pushed me into something that I was kicking against and it ended up kind of blowing up. And so they can at least accept that I'm making the choice that's right for me based on the experiences I had. Mm. Right? Mm. So they've come around to it a lot more and just gotten over it. I think like as long as I don't bring anything up in an obnoxious way, of me trying to deconvert them. They won't try to reconvert me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's never going to be the same as what it was, but we've yeah. got a little uncomfortable no man's land. Um, mm. But as long as we stay out of there, then we can all get along. Yeah. yeah. I think that's definitely a theme in Christianity too, of like seeing children as a mission, mm -hmm. as a job. Like there's even a verse that says, Oh, if you raise children up in the right way, they'll never leave it. I'm betraying yeah. the verses. Cause I have yeah. not <laughs> read the Bible in a very long time. <laughs> But yeah, just seeing children, and I know people throw this phrase around a lot, but yes, as an extension of them, mm -hmm, and as a yeah. reflection of their religiousness, yeah. and not as their own person who can develop their own thoughts, and their own path. There's a very important detail that I forgot about me leaving. Um, <laughs> the day before I got on a plane, my parents called in a prophet. I know that in Catholicism, there's like a whole thing for people to become exorcists and like you have to be specially trained for mm. it. In Christian churches, not so much. Anybody who's a prophet can do their thing and do their whatever. Uh, this was a woman I already knew from a while ago. She's unfortunately very ill and I could tell to some degree mentally ill. She has a really bad thyroid problem, like when she came into that, like, like her neck was like huge because she has this issue. She was like, I don't know, having reactions that indicated to me like, mm, she's not doing super well mentally. But uh, they called her in and they called my grandparents to perform an exorcism, even though I was perfectly fine. So that was hilarious. Uh, so now my Instagram bio says result of a failed exorcism. And that's fun. Uh, that was a very oh, awkward amazing. experience. Because I'm just sitting there like, hi i'm not actually possessed um i don't know what's happening right now so yeah so did, they, did they put holy water was it oil did they put the bible up to your forehead and like the power of christ no. compels you and or it was a very like i've gone through this experience before sometimes believing in it but i knew how it went which is her like we were just sitting eating and i'm like please don't bring anything up please don't bring anything up and she was like, pause. I'm feeling from God to get a message to you. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Okay. Because right. I'm not allowed to tell her, like, no, no, thanks. Like, I knew that wasn't going to fly. So I was like, fine. That's the message. And she was like, oh, I, I'm sensing that you're planning on leaving. And I'm like, yeah, because my parents have known for a while and they told you, like, this isn't magical. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay. And then just, she was like, can I pray for you? And then she's like, oh, I'm sensing, like, 
this and this and this demon, a demon of this, a demon of lies. I see it in your eyes and I'm telling him to leave. And I'm like, okay, um, I want this to end. I don't know what to say or do to get it to end. So it was just overall a very awkward experience for oh. me. And, you know, my grandparents and parents are like, wow, something great is happening right now. Yeah. So, oh, that yeah. is amazing. <laughs> There's definitely this thing in Christianity where, like, as long as someone is claiming there's something spiritual, everybody feels it. If you don't it. go along with them, you're not spiritual enough to mm-hmm. see it or feel it. You right. can't be like, no, actually, there isn't anything spiritual going on right now. So, yeah. I don't know if that was also a thing. Oh, totally, totally, <laughs> totally a thing. Yeah. Do you have any good good stories you want to share with that, Bishop? I don't have a particular uh, okay. one, but I just know generally. It's yeah. like all the time there's always like so in in the mormon church uh there are priesthood blessings which kind mm-hmm. of work similarly right you lay your hands on on somebody's head and you like say a prayer right and you kind of like a lot of the time depending on the person who's doing it some people will be like i the lord command you like they will like behave mm. like jesus is using my voice right yeah and then some people will say the lord commands you right and then other people say i the lord right so it just kind of okay. it's a preference thing and depends how like powerful you're feeling right if you're feeling real <laughs> spiritual you might say it's you like i and you like go through this whole process and they'll like leave blessings with you and stuff but then the best part is it always ends with as the Lord wills it. Like, it's always like, if Jesus wants you to be healed, like they do a lot of, you know. Or according to your faith. According to your faith. So if you don't get healed, either God didn't want it or you didn't have enough faith. And and so then like, there's that back door being like, oh, wow, so sad. Uh, they, They just didn't have the faith to be healed is probably what a Mormon would have said after, you know, giving you a blessing to be healed. You know, and to stay to in demons. the church. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Did you have those weird prophets? I have this very particular memory, and there were a lot of people who did this, but the hand trick where, like, they would, um, if your hands were uneven, they'd right. be like, you have a back problem, and then they pray for you, and then when you put it back, they're even, and what? it's like proof they healed your back. <laughs> that happens a lot. I don't know why. I heard it's like a psychological trick, but they would do it a lot. Be like, oh, if your hands aren't even, your back is off somehow and we're going to heal it. And then they do it back. And I'm like, but you can. Right. (laughs) They would move your hands. And I'm like, but. Okay. Look, it's it's even. It worked. Wow. I don't know why I remember that. (laughs) We let the con man stuff die with Joseph Smith, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he was. Okay. That's fair. He was the major con man. So the. (laughs) <laughs> the grifting stuff maybe in mormonism 180 years ago but not <laughs> yeah yeah well and there's like there's like little stories of that and what's so funny is so you know in the early days of the church people would be like oh you know they've raised them from the dead you know people got raised from yeah. the dead all the time in the 1800s church right and now that never happens and oh. i would ask like about that as a kid and the answer was always, we just don't have as much faith as they had back then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I really believe it. I really, be-, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah. And I think it's just that we have cameras and more documentation of things yeah. Yeah. and doctors who know what they're talking about that yeah. like that just doesn't, 
it's like, I used to ask, like, why are there so many huge miracles in the Old Testament? Like, seas parting, <laughs> fire coming down from the skies, and we don't have that anymore. And one of the explanations I got was that, well, God already did all these things. So it's like, he already gave <laughs> the evidence in a way. So if we don't believe in that, doing it again isn't going to help. And right. I was like, I think it would help. If I yeah. saw fire coming down <laughs> from the heavens, it would help. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that's like the equivalent of you not hearing somebody properly and saying, oh, pardon me, or what was that? And then they say, did I stutter? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> well, I missed what you said. I don't know if you stuttered or not, but I missed it. <laughs> can, yeah. can you part the C again for me, please? <laughs> like, come on. Uh, and it's funny because I guess most of these spiritual experiences I'd hear people having were in camps. I went to so mm. many Christian camps growing up. And I was talking about that with some people and just seeing a lot of content from ex-Christians and realizing that a lot of it was exhaustion because we were sleeping between three to six hours a night. We could not sleep more. We genuinely were not allowed to go to our rooms early. There was a wake up time. You were forced to wake up at that time. So it was like six hours maximum you got. Uh, we were playing a lot of games during the day, running around, so we were very tired. And there was always this format of, like, the last day at camp is when we called to God and have this big experience together. Always a lot of noise, you know, especially for youth camps, very, very loud. And a lot of people have been kind of realizing that a lot of their experiences have been panic attacks. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, uh, especially coming from a family of musicians like I know the power of music Mm -hmm. research shows that out of all the things that can change our emotions quickly, music is the most efficient thing for that. Music can literally torture somebody. If you have a high enough pitch, if you have like a low enough pitch, you can affect people on an incredibly physical level. Mm -hmm. And this was something I argued with when I was in worship groups where I was like, People would be like, oh, I feel God so much during this, like, instrumental part. And I'm like, isn't it about what we're saying? Like, why do you feel it in the instrumental part? Aren't you just being moved by the music? Yeah. And nobody was willing to really recognize that. And I'm like, no, music moves you. Music is a big part of it. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Bishop. In our last episode, you mentioned that you had, like, a uh, a spiritual experience listening to a song that was about yeah. leaving religion behind. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And you get these like the goosebumps and, and we call that the, that's feeling the spirit. Right. So there's, um, mm. you know, there's one Mormon hymn, which is the music goes along to the Scottish national anthem, Scotland, the brave, which is very, emotive if you can think of bagpipes you're probably thinking of this song right it's just a very mm. famous bagpipe but it's very very powerful and uh and it's about joseph smith and his life and his ministry and everybody feels the spirit testify that joseph smith was a true prophet whenever they hear this song but really it's just that this national anthem is a powerful tune yeah and if you put those words to a different tune you probably wouldn't care for it and i can remember when i one time at church we sang this song and they'd actually arrange for somebody to play bagpipes, but he just kind of came out of the back of the chapel out of nowhere. And we're all like bawling our eyes out because the bagpipe, when you hear bagpipes for real, it's a loud, powerful instrument, right? Yeah. And we hear this and we're singing this song and now this guy's playing bagpipes and I'm overwhelmed and I'm just bawling my eyes out. And the 
Holy Spirit of the Lord has rested upon my head and told me the truthfulness of all things. And right. But exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying, music can change your emotions so efficiently. And that's mm-hmm. like we lived that, right? Yeah. You mentioned Glee. Uh, I used to be in <laughs> choir for a big portion of my life because my right. mom was the choir teacher. I was not allowed to not participate in choir. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, even when I didn't feel like it, she's like, no, you can help me with like the middle tunes that nobody can get and gets confused with. You're coming in. I'm like, right. Um, our school acronym was EAB, which in Portuguese stands for American School in Brazil. So we called ourselves GLEAB. I thought oh, I thought that was great and really clever at the time. <laughs> yeah, because this was about when Glee came out. Right. We had a small group of girls who were pretty good singers, like very well in tune. And we did arrangements and voices. It was really beautiful. Like all of our teachers were like, wow, that's so amazing, so moving. And I got to have that experience every time I was in choir, that experience of feeling unified, feeling like I'm getting this message with other people, the goosebumps. And it was because we had beautiful arrangements and thankfully very good members. And just, I think that was part of it. Like I got to have that experience outside of the church Mm -hmm. as well and see like, it's the same feeling as when I'm inside the church singing in a choir, like it's beautiful because I'm in a family of musicians, like Christmases were insanely beautiful singing these hymns with like all these different voices and all, but yeah, it's just cause it was a beautiful song with a beautiful arrangement. Right. Like said, it could be secular. It could be instrumental. Yeah. 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 It, it doesn't matter. And I, I think about that. So I was in, in choirs at church and once at school, but then I started skipping and, got kicked out um but mm-hmm. i i loved it and i thinking thinking now it's like okay well if i joined a community choir and they're singing silent night or something i don't believe anything that the song is saying right and so if if my family's like you don't even believe in that you know like wah, 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 why would you mm-hmm. why would you be singing that it's like it's still pretty like it still yeah. sounds nice and it's still That's nice harmless, to sing in a maybe. choir you know like and so I, th- I think that's, um, I don't know, that's like where I'm at mm. with it. It's like, it's yeah. still a pretty song. I sing church songs all the time because like I'll hum them because it's a pretty tune. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. One it's, of my favorite songs yeah. is a Christian song. And it's just because from, from a Brazilian guy, it's called Prasima Brasil. And it has very different portions to each arrangement and it's just a beautifully written brazilian song it's yeah. more of a political criticism but it does have a little bit of the religious undertone right because um, it's a political criticism but then in the end he says we need to look back to god mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. it's beautifully written i think it's a beautiful song it's so moving yeah. one example i always like to give people is like try to watch an emotional movie without sound muting it you're not gonna cry yeah you're not yeah. gonna be moved try watching yeah. a horror movie without sound you're not going to get pushed by the jump scares yeah like there's a reason music is a huge part of animation yeah there's a reason why music is a huge part of film there's a reason why people are obsessed with soundtracks like whenever i hear that finding nemo soundtrack it is so emotional to me yeah yeah and it's music is powerful (laughs) i i will say though i i bet you that that opening scene at up uh, of up mm. could still get people to uh, cry just with the visuals like it would yeah. the music does add that like <laughs> oh, extra layer like i feel like the music is like everybody else who wasn't crying already it's like that extra shove 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like just the visuals, you still, oh, man. you know, True. still tell it's storytelling. It's, it's art, right? Like mm-hmm. pe- people are like, oh, well, you know, you know that God's hand is in this because of the beautiful cathedrals and beautiful paintings and tapestries. It's like, no, you know that the church had the money to fund the art. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. There's a difference, right? It is beautiful, uh-huh. but it's, it's just coming from a different source, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad taught like a classical music and literature and all. And he would always say like a lot of these religious songs you hear from the Renaissance and whatever, these people were just commissioned to do it. Like this was their job. Some of them believed in it. Some of them kind of didn't. Yeah. Galileo, yeah. when he did the uh, beautiful cathedral in Italy, he wasn't super religious, but he did it because that's what he does for a living. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if, people are just scope. <laughs> if if somebody wants me to help them produce a ministry podcast, as long as it's not a uh, you know promoting anything bad, you know, yeah, sure, pay me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep, whatever. It's a paycheck, right? I think is That's kind something of something I always the view. question too, because I'm like, if we have this divine inspiration from this God who's supposed to be the most creative entity alive the person who was creative enough to create literally everything we know. How are we creating such bad music? (laughs) That was the thing I had, like, how are we making it so repetitive and so terrible? And one of the things that my dad showed me as a study, um, so our frontal lobe, which is responsible for our logical thinking and processing, Mm -hmm. through repetition, it can kind of turn off. So, Hmm. like, if you're listening to something repetitive, it's going to, down guess how many repetitions it takes to shut it down three Three. really and that's usually the amount of verses people will put in the chorus of christian songs or pop songs that's all it takes for your brain to be like you know what i don't have to fully check in i don't have to fully process what's going on it's not like a full checkout but but it it primes you so did your dad inadvertently like start deconstructing your faith by showing you the brainwashing and Christian music? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny because people have this narrative of like, oh, if someone deconverts, you taught your children wrong. It's like, no, you taught me right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I deconverted because I realized that what you're doing isn't matching what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That's like precisely part of it too. Like I do think there's issues with Christianity and theory and with what the Bible says in theory. But part of it was very much also like, no, if you're saying we got to love people, we got to love them regardless of their sexuality or identity. If you're saying that, you know, we need to, yeah, yeah, just yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. Bishop, Bishop do you have any, any more questions? You're percolating? Um, well, I mean, one question just as like a North American, all that I know about Brazil is like Carnival. Yes. And Brazil just seems like this steaming sex kind of <laughs> country, right? Just mm. Carnival, you know, topless women on the beaches in Sao Paulo. Yep. It's just, you know, like that's what I think of when I think of yeah. Brazil. And so being, how did Christianity coexist yeah. with that Go like with how that. does that how, <laughs> do, how does that definitely match? Is, is it just reactively okay. uh, so like because the culture is so liberal like 
I always remember in Carnaval, we would always have a Christian camp during the week of Carnaval because the idea is right. like, we got to get ourselves away from this. Right. Nobody's going to the parades. You know, we're going to do our own camp, our own thing as a reaction to okay. Carnaval. So there was okay. always a camp around that time, guaranteed. Um, right. hmm. So it's like, okay, while the world is celebrating this, we're celebrating God. Mm, but, right. Um, sexualization i do notice it happens from a very young age which is really unfortunate like in brazil Um, you're talking in brazil yeah okay i because i I did study in texas for a year when i was seven i always like to give this comparison to people where like in texas we learned square dancing with our friends and they always said like oh you have to be like arm's length away from your partner you don't touch them in brazil Mm -hmm. we were and I guess this was fifth grade or sixth grade, we were given a magazine um, and told you have to keep it between you two. The magazine cannot fall. You have to maintain pressure. But your partner, you have to dance close to them. Right. And I think it's funny because I I think the example I was given in Texas was like, you have to be a magazine rack away. So I just thought that was really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Symbolically to be like, no, physical proximity has to be close one big issue that we had because this was an american school in brazil the american teachers who came in had a very strong position of we do not touch the kids i understand why i understand why Mm -hmm. it's a thing in the u.s Mm -hmm. brazilians are very touchy we hug a lot we're very warm and the children want that they like that they want to hug their teachers when they come in it's super chill it's super normal so we had that cultural conflict with mm-hmm. teachers who would come in and be like what are you doing why did you hug that child and we're like it's okay to hug children they need right. that physical intimacy uh, like we just have to be mindful to make sure we're not crossing boundaries but it's okay to hug them when they're in the classroom it's fine hmm. um interesting yeah yeah it sounds like there was like a lot of of conflicting cultures going going on for yeah. you yeah yeah that's really interesting. It's definitely this thing of like, oh, you don't want to look too sexy because that's what the world does. You know, it's always like the world. The world is yeah. secular culture. Yeah. So you yeah. don't want to do what the world is doing. But I would also be like, okay, it's 32 degrees, though. It's 35 <laughs> like, degrees. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm imagining so, yeah. like high humidity as well. Um, Not not so much in my city, but like in Rio oh, okay. and stuff. And like either way, yeah. I'd be like, it is ridiculously hot. Yeah. I'm not wearing shorts to look sexy. I'm wearing shorts because it's 35 degrees. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah, why, like, why, why does that have to become a, like a sexual issue? Right. Like, yeah. it's like, I'm not trying to show off my legs to attract a mate. I'm just trying to not die of the heat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's something we've talked about on the podcast before is like, why, is, why is this made to be this huge huge issue uh especially yeah. since it's not explicit in the bible in the right. bible there isn't a rule like this is the lane or <laughs> this is the thing but we had these rules like right. i remember yeah. at camp i think the rule was if you're standing things have to be at first it was below fingertips your, uh middle finger and then right. it became below your thumb what? So we were always trying to create these rules of like how long something has to be right. and you know we weren't aren't allowed to wear. I understand that maybe to some extent. Well, it's no, like not I, really. I don't. Yeah, it's it's like <laughs> you know. I had this conversation with my sister, who's 
still an active Mormon. Mm. And she struggles with the idea of modesty a lot. She put up on her Instagram story two bathing suits. One was a one piece, but it was really low cut. And then one was a two piece, but it was like covered up all the way to the top, right? Um, but then showing the, the stomach area, right? And mm. she says, which is more modest? And in my head, I thought, well, the one piece, obviously, you know, like you always have to wear a one piece swimming suit, right? Mm. Because that's how I was raised. And so I respond with this, you know, but then I also followed up with, but I think these rules of modesty are silly and blah, 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 you know, wear whatever you feel comfortable in and whatever you, you want. And, uh, but she, she was talking about this cause she knows she has to like teach these young women to have this expectation, but she also thinks the modesty thing is kind of dumb. And she's like, why can't I just wear what I want, you know? And so she's kind of juggling this back and forth. But then the other youth leaders that she works with are in their 50s and a lot more conservative, yeah. right? And, and I told her, I was like, just wear what you want. And talking to another friend about it, who's also Mormon still, um, she said she should wear what she's comfortable in. Because what if one of those girls looks at her and says, okay, she's wearing that. So I'm okay. You know, I'm okay with what I'm wearing instead of feeling like they have to be shamed yeah. by it too, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I thought, you know, that that whole modesty, it's just a rule, right? It's like... Yeah, and it's funny because it was always like, oh... If you dress this way, people are going to see you as X, Y, Z. They're going to see you as easy. They're going to see you as not being devout enough. And it's like, I've never looked at somebody and thought these things. Mm -hmm. I've never looked at somebody who wore shorter things, especially on a ridiculously hot day. I've never thought lesser of them. I've never thought that they were less capable of doing good. Mm -hmm. So why am I putting these standards on myself? Why are we putting these standards on each other? Yeah. Why are we not focusing on our actions instead of our presentation. I think that was a, a huge issue. And that, uh, that's a big part of the whole, like you didn't, it's not because you didn't teach me right. It's precisely because you taught me mm -hmm. right. Like you taught me so much that it's not about appearances. It's not about presentation. It's about action. It's about intent. And I was like, yeah, I'm following that. I'm wearing shorts and I have the intent of cooling off on a hot day. Isn't that what matters? Right. Or things like that that's precisely why i question these things it's like precisely because you taught me right yeah. So, yeah 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 i i i like that this has been probably the longest episode we've we've ever done <laughs> i think actually i'm uh, a rambly person yeah no the to totally okay um i'm really appreciating your insights on every on like the whole scope of everything that we've talked about um so i'm curious now that you've left Christianity, this is something I'm always interested in hearing. Where are you at now? This is kind of a conversation Bishop and I have had before about like the meaning of life. Is there a God? Is there not a God? You know, what's your, what's your take? Mm, I guess my take is there's no inherent meaning or purpose to life. Just like a plant doesn't need to have a reason to be just like an animal doesn't have a reason to be. It's okay to just be, hmm. it's okay to just exist you don't have to earn your self-worth. You don't have to earn that. If you want to just be, and if you're just existing, that's fine. If you're not following any standards of success, that's fine. Um, I am more of the position that if you want to give yourself goals, and if you want to give yourself purposes, that's awesome. If someone's like, I want to dedicate my life to this thing, then 
go for it. Uh, I guess now I'm much more of the position and it's very cliche, but of just pursuing happiness. Like, Hey, if something's Hmm. not making you happy, if a career path isn't making you happy, don't keep dedicating your life to it. Mm -hmm. Especially now knowing that it's limited. Yeah. My time is limited. I'm much pickier about where I put my time and energy. So I'm like, this is all I got. Yeah. I'm not going to get any more. So yeah, I'm not going to spend it on things that aren't working for me. Um, yeah. And I guess just trying more and more to be okay with the idea that it's okay to be quote unquote selfish. It's okay to do things for me. Um, it's not in conflict with me doing things for others. Um, And I think one big thing for me recently has just been like allowing myself to be a complex person. Cause a big mm. thing with Christianity is like your whole identity, your whole life is dedicated to this. This encompasses everything. And now it's like, I have lots of things that are part of my identity, being non-binary, being bisexual, uh, being to some level, a musician, being an artist, um, being a tarot reader, recently being a Satanist, And it's like, well, these are all parts of my identity, but there isn't a single one thing that encompasses all the Mm -hmm. others. And these things can change. Maybe I'm not going to be an artist in three years and that's okay. That's not going to change my self-worth. So Hmm. just letting myself be a complex person with lots of different interests, lots of different activities, and just not feeling like I have to box myself in because of any of these labels. Like I only take on these labels to the extent that they serve me, Hmm. to the extent that they help me. I'm not serving the label. The label serves me. So if I'm not vibing with the label, it goes away. Um, so yeah, yeah. where are you guys at? I'm actually pretty much on the exact same page as you. It's like, nice. I am these things, you know, and, and I might change that someday. I'm a changing person. I don't know what went on in the head of my 12-year-old self. That was a different me, right? Everything I think about them now is colored by the experiences I've had since. And... I am in absolute agreement about like the meaning of life part. There doesn't have to be like an overarching meaning. You can just give it meaning yourself, you know, to your day. Today, the only thing I had planned was this conversation. And that was the meaning of today. Tomorrow, I'm recording with some other people. And that's the purpose tomorrow. Tuesday, I get my vaccine. Yay. And, you know, and that's the meaning of Tuesday. Like, that's the only reason I'm existing on Tuesday for is to get the vaccine, right? And then I sprinkle other little things in there, too. I eat, I sleep, I read, I go for a walk, right? But I I think the the purpose is where I am. And and, uh, I I find that's a significantly happier way to live, actually, because, like you said, this is all I got. I better take full advantage um yeah what about you bishop yeah you can look at the there is no inherent meaning of life as depressing on one hand and i think you can also look on it as a tremendous opportunity is that the only purpose in my life is the purpose i give it so it's all up to me i'm the god of my own life now i can you know determine my future and my purpose and my meaning that's kind of what i go with right Mm -hmm. because some people say oh, you don't think there's any purpose to life that's so depressing? Like, well, look at the opportunity. I can paint the canvas of my life with whatever the hell I want whenever I want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I, I like that. Uh, does anybody have any final thoughts that they're yearning 
to to get in or that they feel pressed upon by the spirit of the Lord to to share in this meeting uh, before we adjourn. I'm good. I'm good. I don't think the spirit of the Lord is with any of us right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I feel, I feel good about this conversation. Um, So thank you super very much, Maddie. It was cool to have like a different Christian perspective on, Mm. on the podcast and to hear about your experience. I think you're also the only queer person we've, we actually, yeah, I think you definitely are. Um, so, nice. I mean, congratulations first for everything. Um, first one. And yeah, uh, great conversation though. And so yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, this is super fun. Yeah. It's and a, it's fun to be able to talk to people with similar experiences. I think yeah. my secular friends are very understanding. They're very empathetic. But sometimes it's hard to just contextualize it to be like. Yeah. 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 So it's good to talk to people who already get it. Yeah. I, I had a friend tell me, he said, um, People outside of the church care as much about you being in the church as they do about you leaving the church. They're like, they're like, cool, man. Do you think? <laughs> like, I said that. You're talking about me. Am I talking about you? Yeah. I oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, somebody I, once said. Somebody once said, yeah, that was, that was me, you know. Was, uh, I'm somebody. <laughs> um but yeah, no, it, it does feel really good. That's the whole point of this podcast is to talk about it, get it out, and then just get to move on with life. Mm. And uh, it feels really, really fulfilling to, to do yeah. that. Um, but with that, I guess I'll, I'll just close in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 <laughs>